welcome to The Fringe in Review and this is episode 6 and we continue our coverage of the Living Record Festival which begins in January and runs through February 2021 and we've got some great guests and it's easy to use that expression great guests but I'm calling them great because they inspired me and as they talk about their practice and their work and their attempts to bring their work to a digital audience at a very important time for the arts to stay alive and awake um, they absolutely did inspire me with what they're doing and it made me want to find out more and it made me want to go and see their work so we begin uh, with Sky Hallam and she's doing a solo show called Heads or Tails um, so we're going to talk to her about creating solo work during these difficult challenging but creative times and then uh, we had the podcast, um, I'm going to cheekily say, Invaded by Ross Drury, who is one of the movers and shakers behind the whole uh, festival. And he joined us for a chat with Matthew Wyndham, who was calling from the United States and being booted out from time to time. But we kept a really inspiring interview going there, too. Um, and so he's also talking about his writing process and the transfer, the transposition of work to a digital space. Uh, then we spoke to Ella dorman Gaich about two pieces, uh, one called A Bloody Shambles and one called On Record, and uh, she co-authored that one with Cameron Essam. Um, and so there's a lot of writing, there's a lot of solo performing, there's a lot of theatre, um, and we explore the difference between theatre and film and theatre transposed to the, the, the live stage online, then capturing that in a recorded or a live format and seeing how that works digitally for people watching from home. And one of the questions that I've asked all my interviewees so far is how you would like me to be as an audience member? How should I watch this stuff? In a physical theatre space, you've usually, not always, but you've usually got fairly tight control over the fact that the audience are sitting in a certain place. Uh, unless you're using kind of promenade theatre where it can become more unpredictable. But you kind of curate where your audience sit and that is out of your control online. But I was interested to see whether it would be okay for me to watch this in a certain format because we've got headphones and we've got sofas to slouch on and we've got rooms that can be silent. We can watch together, we can watch alone. There's all sorts of possibilities. And I think maybe I took some of my interviewees by surprise and got them thinking about that. But I think they've all thought about it, um, at least at an un well, subconscious level, um, because it came out very quickly how they would like us to watch it. Some more flexible in their answers than others. But listen to the interviews and get inspired about uh, more from the Living Record Festival. Hi, Tiger Hallam Hankin. <laughs> that's my that's my passport name. Yeah. <laughs> is it? Do you have a stage name that's different? Yeah. So Sky Hallam is what I'm I'm I, I go as as an actor. Yeah. <laughs> Guy Hallam. Now, you what have you made for the Living Record Festival? Um, so I've made a one woman show um, that's called Heads or Tails, and um, it's sort of inspired by a um, horse riding accident I had just before going back to do my third year at RADA. Um, and it's all about, yeah, life and life and death in the afterlife. And um, it's a bit like a stand-up stand -up comedy, kind of 40 minutes. Yeah. Now, was this something you made originally for the physical world performance and then we've all been stuck in lockdown or did you write it especially for this format? Yeah, so I, I totally intended to do it live and I kind of hoped I'd do a Edinburgh Fringe run and kind of, and yeah, approach it that way. Um, I started writing it 
three years ago and then I think because of the lockdown um obviously we've all had a lot more time on our hands and I thought it would be a good idea to kind of pick it back up again and then the team at uh, Living Record said that when I thought well I can't guarantee I'll be able to do it live anytime soon so why don't I take them up on this offer to um be one of the acts with with them on the digital sort of fringe festival that they that they've done so it's it's worked out quite well but it's taken a lot of kind of work to make it right for the the digital realm do do you think um this is something you could do live online in pretty much the same way as live in the physical world or has it had to be done very differently well this is yeah that was the discussion we had so I was given the option to either do it live or to pre-record it um, and obviously if you pre-record it then you've got something to to kind of show for it you know you've got something that that's lasting that's um, kind of I guess evidence of your work um, and also you have a lot more control over how it's portrayed to the audience Um because if it was live, then, you know, you've got all the things like the internet could go down and, you know, I, I suppose it's slightly riskier. And there are acts that are part of the festival that are doing it live. Um, and I think I think that can be fantastic for the right show. But I think for me, because I don't need audience participation or kind of them to go on a journey with me, I really, it's kind of like, you know, it's been described as a sort of TED talk, stand-up comedy kind of um yeah show I, I thought it would be better to pre-record it and we were really lucky that the German Street Theatre supported me and said that the I could film it there so it still felt like a very theatrical thing um, but it's very much a film rather than a sort of uh, filmed play if that makes sense. But so would you say you've still managed to maintain a kind of theatrical mindset in that pre-record or has it has it allowed theatre and theatre craft to become television craft? Yeah, I think it's I think it's intrinsically theatrical what we've done. I think because we've had a lighting designer and because we've had, you know, we're in the in the theatre space and we're kind of making the most of of the space and um and you know I I sit in the audience for some of it and there's you know we we try to kind of make it feel as like I've been beamed into an empty theatre rather than kind of pretending there were people in the room. But I think in the sort of um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge-esque way, I've tried to kind of talk to the people at home as if they are my audience, um, but kind of acknowledge the fact that, that we are, I guess, in the time <laughs> the times that we are um, and that we obviously can't have the, the big live audience but I, I would still love to you know I hope that this does lead to a, a lot of live sh- you know shows a bit because I'd love to do it live um, nice. but it would have when to the material that you yeah, yeah when the material that you choose to write about is autobiographical and it sounds potentially traumatic yeah how do you kind of safely revisit and reanimate that and then perform it yeah it's it's interesting I think when I say that the accident inspired the show I think that's that's the key that's the key word because it, it inspired me to want to write about that moment when you think it could be the end, but then kind of what, you know, where can you go with that story? And I suppose there were lots of different paths that I could go down. And I think a lot of the show is autobiographical. I think it is, it's talking about the struggles that I've had since and the sort of way that it kind of changes your perspective on life. Um, I think making her a, a character and making her, um, 
you know, even just by having her name as Steph and just knowing that I'm being somebody else, I think that's a really useful separation. And actually, I don't really talk about how she died very much in the show at all. It's more kind of her experience of the afterlife and kind of, I suppose, what the show is trying to do, make light of these really, really big issues, especially that a lot of us are, you know, going through with bereavement at the moment and everything that's going on. So I think I've tried to make light of my own kind of struggles through the show and I hope that that's going to help other people make light of it um and it's quite an interesting interesting is probably a a bad word for it but it's it's um you know quite a I suppose shocking thing that you know some young people are taken too soon and a friend of mine was taken too soon shortly after my accident I think that that sort of philosophical thing that we all do especially when we're all at home at the moment reflecting is that you know what 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 is that sort of chance element of life that things can just be taken away and how do we deal with that and I think having some sort of fun ideas of what the afterlife is can be a nice way of kind of holding on to those things um yeah do you think that um now pre-recording it and writing it for the Mm. screen we're all hoping that the Edinburgh Fringe may well be happening even in August different form do you think that will now change the script and change it do you think you know doing this has thrown up some creative ideas that then when you finally do it Mm. in the physical setting that it might be different to what it would have been yeah I think it has gone on the journey and I think um I think it's yeah it's definitely because I filmed it because I had to learn sort of 40 minutes of material um obviously I had the time to do it but then having to sort of only spend a day filming it and wanting to make the most of that time we decided to kind of do it in these chapters so that so the show is kind of in these um five eight minute kind of um episodes if you like and I quite like the idea of that because when when I've gone to see one person shows or you know um or seen my friends do them I've kind of thought it you know you have to have some structure that kind of allows the actor to kind of have a have a break or have a reset but then also for the audience to kind of take on board a lot of information um I think it's worked quite well and I'd quite I'd probably quite like to keep that element and that each time we see her in the next section we're we're seeing her somewhere else and you know the con you know maybe the, the the scenery or at least you know there has been a change in in tempo or energy or something so I think that will stay the same but I think there's a lot with you know different audiences different nights that's the thing that I suppose I'm missing out on because I don't know how this show is going to be received and some of it is quite dark and and kind of yeah and and also comical I hope so I I, I'm interested to know how that would change in a in a live scenario with where the audience kind of want to go and maybe there's room for me to have some fun with with how that kind of is is more open and flowed um you know and flowing in the moment with with where it's going rather than very very preset so so you wrote wrote this and you perform it and did you direct it as well (laughs) so yeah we didn't we didn't we had a director of photography who's the wonderful luke dale um and he technically has filmed the whole thing edited the whole thing um and definitely gave me a lot of guidance on the day in terms of you know how we were going to shoot it but essentially we, we didn't have a director working with me on the acting so my mom's an actor and I ran a lot of things past her. Um, but essentially, yeah, I didn't collaborate with anyone on it. And I think in some ways I got a lot of helpful support and advice, but I'd be really interested to know, you know, what what the process would be like um, to kind of have a proper rehearsal process and, and do that. Because if I'm, yeah, like you say, writing it, performing it, 
I wrote a song for it. You know, it's it's, it's been sort of my whole thing and to t sort of be able to step outside of it um, and have someone, you know, work with me, it would be really, I, I think that would be an amazing process that I definitely like to, to do. Um, and it just didn't work out this time that anyone could come on board because I just kind of did the whole thing myself. Well, I guess it, it's not always the case, mm. but, you know, slightly cheekily. But, um, so the writer, the director and the performer have got on well with each other. <laughs> I'd say most of the time, yeah. I'd say um, it's a very funny thing writing for yourself because when I'm doing it, I want to make... I, I, the writer in me wants, wants the actor me to do it well. Um, and then when I watch the show back, which I've only done a few times, um, and it's coming out obviously in, in in a week, so it kind of feels kind of mad that a lot of people are going to see it. But I, when I watch it, I think it's 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 a funny it's a funny separation and a collaboration at the same time. In some ways, it's very easy to write for yourself, and it's been it's gone down very well. But the actor me is annoyed when I when I get a, a you know when I get a bit wrong because the writer in me knows that I said you know wrote that for a specific reason and you start to I think I start I've started to really appreciate writers a lot more because I think it's it's quite a big thing to give your work over to someone um it's quite a big responsibility I think to the person doing it yeah but having made it now uh, mm. are you a bit scared of it yeah it's a funny it's a funny thing I think um you know <laughs> It's one of those things because I've mainly done telly and film since leaving drama school and, and there's such a lag in the process of making something and then watching it back. And some things I've made, I haven't even seen back properly yet. You know, they haven't, it's been such a long process that they haven't sort of been released. And I think, you know, you're even just watching this and this was filmed in, in November, even watching this, it's kind of, I'd still, I'd do things differently already or I'd say things differently or I'd write things differently. So I think in that way, you kind of have to be at peace and just let it go and let it be what it is. Um, but I think I think my my expectations are quite low because I'm just pleased to have been able to do something this year that's kind of been my own project. But yeah, I suppose I'm yeah I'm a little apprehensive of of, of what people are going to think and what what ends up happening. But I'm I'm excited really. <laughs> and. I and this is a bit of a personal question, yeah. but I ask it genuinely and respectfully. Um, going back then into that material, that history, that episode yeah. in your life that happened to you that mm. you brought into this, if that version of you came mm. to see this and came up to you <laughs> afterwards, what kind of conversations do you think you might have? And you could say, mind your own business. <laughs> no, I think it's quite interesting. I think, I mean, that person back then, which was kind of, I don't know when that was, 2015, um, I was in such a sort of you know post-traumatic kind of nervous state I think I'd be I don't I think it would be two things I'd either have been able to watch it and go wow this is really relatable and like kind of very cathartic and kind of overwhelming because that's the thing when you go through something like that you you think you you think you're the only person that's ever gone through anything and then when you end up talking to people lots of people have got their own versions of those stories of oh you know I've spent this time in hospital or I got ill or I thought you know this day was going to be it or whatever and you start to think oh lots of people are hit by this all their friends and families are and so I think either it would be a really kind of beautiful experience or it would be too soon and too close to the bone for me to process because I think that's what it was at the time you kind of you cut off from stuff and I think that's why it's taken sort of five years since then for me to probably process it uh, process it and be able to put it out there in a way that that feels 
right actually and that I've actually got to I've got something to say about it now rather than just sort of the trauma of it or the sort of worry of it or you know um yeah <laughs> and my final question um is it's a bit of an experiment because I'm asking a lot of people um mm. this question mm. is we are we are in a different format it's not yeah. the format that most people are supposed to have intend, intended, although there are digital theatre creators that have been doing this for years. Most people have been kind of forced to do this, forced yeah. to face this in order to get their work out there. Um, how should I watch this, Sky? Mm. Um, in terms of, yeah. Um, do you mean physically or what, what do you mean? <laughs> I guess it's on in the theatre and you choose your venue. German Street is a lovely space. Mm. The audience sit in a certain place you've got your lighting the audience are more placed in this case mm. we're all at home Is could give me some advice on how i should watch yeah. your work i think i think i think watch it with people if possible you know i think it's one of those things i don't think this is i don't know if it is kind of sit in your bed late at night and watch it like a netflix program i i think it's i want it to be a conversation starter and i I think what's it I think it I suppose it could work like that I think it's quite intimate but then it's also got there's a lot of sort of laughs and I quite I, and it's quite I want to think that it's talking to lots of different generations I mean I talk about about being a millennial and you know the colloquialisms we use now and things but yeah I, I'd quite like it to be a communal thing that people can have a good chat about in the sort of like little breaks and also just kind of if they want to pause it and have a chat or so I think sort of sitting in your lounge just with it on the table, which is what I've been doing. I think that works quite well. But I guess in, in lockdown then, I need to organise a watch party. <laughs> yes, yeah, that sounds like a good idea, yeah. And have a little chat about it afterwards, a little Zoom with your friends. But if you are just going to be, you know, late at night with a tub of ice cream, watching it in your bed, I think it could potentially be a bit heavy, but then maybe that that's quite, like I say, cathartic. It might work. Um for people to feel feel hmm. something about what you know because I think it does speak for today what's you know what what's going on because I, I wrote it you know I finished a, I finished my draft in October last year so you know hopefully it is relevant for people. Sky Hallam thanks for talking oh, to Fringe so Review. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Now, you may hear seagulls in the background as I broadcast from Fringe Reviews headquarters, as many of you will know, is the garden shed at the bottom of our garden here in lockdown. And as I look out the window, I can see one of our three cats. I'm also getting confused about the number of episodes we're recording because there's such a lot to cover during January and February of this new year, the year where hopefully we emerge from lockdown. So uh, more interviews. And we just spoke to Sky Hallam about her solo show and now we're going to chat to a couple of people Matthew Wyndham calling from the US and also uh, as we were joined by Ross Drury who uh, yeah is one of the, the people that has made this happen um, and his own company Living Record has played around with multimedia different media not just a physical theatre space though they've been very prominent there for a long time and so I think they were ripe for if they were going to create an artistic platform they were ripe for doing this a second cat has joined me, but let's hear what Matthew and Ross Drury have to say. Matthew, can you hear me at last? We've been trying to talk to each other for a while. Yes, I can hear you. <laughs> Perfect. We might be joined by Ross. 
Oh, excellent. Who's the producer of Record Festival. But tell us, uh, what's bringing you virtually to the UK to Living Record Festival? Uh, well, we had a project that was ready to get out into the world, and I just started looking around at different opportunities, and uh, Living Record came my way, and uh, I, that's kind of the whole story. <laughs> and and you are kind of looking at this is an opportunity that only lockdown could bring, you know, only COVID, or were you creating this sort of work before that? Uh, well, interestingly, uh, we started creating this particular production at the very, very beginning of quarantine um with the notion that it would be for that we were creating a live in-person event um and after months of working on it and it it definitely evolved into something where we were like okay we're going to figure out how to do this digitally uh to still make it a live theater event but but you know to distance i guess (laughs) so what's the what's the show called and tell us a bit about it it's called This Little World, um, and it is an adaptation of Shakespeare's Richard II. Uh, it's something that I've had the idea of creating for a long time uh, for myself as an actor in the first place. And then um, I sort of came around to the idea of working with, with another actor, uh, Owen Corey, who is the star of it. Um, and he and I started talking about it really not very long after uh, quarantine started here in the States. And... Uh, uh, always my idea just sort of stemmed from a couple of uh, lines that Richard has while he's in prison at the end of Shakespeare's play. He starts talking about um, creating a world in his mind and playing all of the different roles in his, in, in his own mind of the different people from his past. And so I felt like that was a great jumping off point for creating a solo production. Um, so eventually what we the script that we created uh is owen playing the part of richard in prison and uh reflecting on his past life and all of the people that he met and uh his fall from power and how he was deposed and came to be imprisoned in the first place and owen creates all of the different characters through puppetry that was directed by uh, my partner essie windham and uh and it's all done in a single take uh, as he shoots all of the video himself. Uh, so it, it has a very live feeling about it. And I guess, you know, we're all kind of in prison at the moment, aren't we? So has that lent itself to this production? Oh, definitely. Yeah. We, I mean, I guess when I approached Owen in the first place, I, I said, you know, this, this feels particularly relevant <laughs> and I, to me now um because we we don't get to see anybody richard has a line he says um uh it really i think it's probably the first line in our production he says uh i have been studying how i may compare this prison where i live unto the world and for because the world is populous and here is not a creature but myself i cannot do it <laughs> and and that that really resonated mm. me the very the idea of that all of us are just feeling like we are we are so solo and uh and and unable to access the rest of the world right now oh and perfect timing ross i'm just chatting to matthew windham who's just telling me all about um his show and uh just give us a quick update ross how are things going we've got the countdown is on for matthew and everybody else how are you (laughs) doing i'm doing well thanks it's uh it feels like it's coming together um 
yeah no good all good it's it's pretty round the clock um i don't think i've ever experienced such an explosion of emails in my entire career so that's a, a new thing to <laughs> uh, deal with but yeah you know everyone's uh th there are challenges to every app that we have and challenges to us too because of the circumstances which we're working but I, I i do i feel that everyone's problem solving really well and working really practically and um and, and the very nature of the platform is the more that our companies and people like Matthew up, upload to it, the more it comes to life and the more that we see how exciting that's going to be. So it is a sort of like breathing organ in that way. And, and that's been really cool. Hmm. Ross, what would you like to ask Matthew? I've really dumped you <laughs> in there. <laughs> uh, well, first of all, how did you hear about us? Uh, I, I, I think I, you know, I was just doing a, a general... Oh, he's gone. We've lost him. We've lost him. Um, he's still got the link, so hopefully he'll come back. Right. This is the problem with um, connections over to the US, just while we're waiting for yeah. him to come back. Um, so what's on your shopping list between now? I mean, if this was a physical uh, world festival, you'd be running all over the place and getting props in and sorting the lighting because it hadn't worked yeah. and the box office has crashed and all of that. What goes on in a virtual festival? In the I actually don't it? find it that different, Paul. Uh, like, I think that the practical element is different in the sense that we're not going to be thinking about lighting and staging. But in the lead up to the festival, you it, it, actually, you should be quite prepared and you should have your things in place. Hi, sorry, I seem to have gotten kicked out. Um, oh, I that. love it when this. Happens. Um, <laughs> yeah. Shall I? Yeah, Matthew Ross is just telling us what what he's what he's doing right now to get this festival to happen. Carry on, Ross. Um, I, you know, I, I think the uh, making a show in a normal in a normal festival, what you hope is actually the chaos is all at the beginning. By the time that you get nearer to that festival, actually, um, that is not going on. You you want a clear head at that point. You want to be making. making practical, interesting decisions which are going to make a good piece. You know you've done something wrong when you come to Edinburgh or a festival and that that's happening and you're in a kind of like panic button or chaos mode. And I think the more that you do it, the more you're able to predict those kind of problems and also do the right kind yeah. of planning at the beginning. And I, and I have to say, that's what I've strived for with this. So I, th so I think it's similar. Um, it, right now, actually... I was doing more work for this in a sort of like lo lots of plate spinning manner um, at the very beginning. What it is now is actually kind of starting to sharpen in onto things like uh, making sure that we are selling the tickets and making sure that is smooth for the user experience, which it is, making sure our companies are supported with the final touch of their microsite and that our, our deadlines are being met. So, you know, I don't think it is that sort of like, um that sort of madness flurry that it, it's actually it's almost like it it's coming into sharper focus of what this festival will be and what it will be like mm. which i realize is sort of a, a yeah and high concept yeah. answer to your question but um that's a good that's good but let's add to the story because matthew you were before you were hurled uh, out yes <laughs> across the atlantic you were telling us how you found out about living record festival. i wish it was a more glamorous story but really i think it was just a google search <laughs> That's good. That works. <laughs> you looking for places to put stuff on, Matthew? Yes, that, was uh, that it? I've got this show. Yeah, exactly. We we had been developing the show, um, and I think r around October of 2020, 
we we felt like we had a finished piece. Um, we partnered with a theater company in the states called the the Atlantic City Theater Company in New Jersey. Um, they did we did a single live stream of the show with them, and uh, then we felt like okay, we want to figure out some other places to take this show uh, while it is in this digital form. And uh, so I just started looking around, and Living Record I'm- was the first festival that said yes. <laughs> Ross, you Ross, you were Google. You've been yeah. Googled, Ross. Oh uh, yeah, well, there you go. That's that's great. I'm glad you found it through Google. Um, <laughs> Matthew, how what are what are your kind of like long term plans of this project? So are are you looking to go kind of into the digital sphere now as your sort of company's identity or is the long term plan to sort of fit this in in some way or how how will you use it, do you think, in the future? Yeah, um, I, I I really had a bad attitude about uh, digital theater at the very uh-huh. beginning of, of all of this, at the beginning of lockdown and everything, just because I guess I'm so used to traditional live in-person theater and and the the interactions that you get to have with the audience, the, the way that that affects the show from um, moment to moment and everything. Um, but I really started to kind of find the all of the upside i think of digital theater um and so i'm excited to continue to pursuing to pursue uh digital theater projects as well as live in-person projects and uh, and projects i think uh this one probably has a life as an uh, as a live in-person show in the future um but the digital the digital space helped us shape it helped us determine that it would be uh that it would contain puppetry um when really our the actor owen Corey, who plays all of the parts was was really wishing in the first place to make it a very audience interactive show um, it's really interesting i think we're kind of like coming from the same point because i know this sounds weird i i am the artist director of a, a digital theater festival and, yeah but I, but i'm a i think my my fundamentals are i'm a theater person and uh the live experience has always been what i pursued and actually if we were to talk like 10 years ago i was almost anti-technology in the way that i made plays of that kind of like brookian um yeah way of putting shows together but right uh but what i think is really interesting is that um these digital pieces it does take the sort of same skill set in a way of putting on a live show in the sense right. that you are shaping a piece of artwork for a particular space. In this case, it is a digital one, so you have to think about how that's effective for an audience. But I, I feel that the future of this platform, even if um, the uh, pandemic is to completely calm down and, and, the- and theatre arises back to what we remember it, um, I think the future of this platform could be to kind of work alongside that and be part of the kind of ecosystem of, of arts where you might do a play yeah. and then that play has a digital piece that is like its sister. And, right. And you kind of like, you're just exploring a different part of the story through that and audiences could watch the play, then go to the digital piece or they could watch the digital piece and go to the play. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, so connected to that, uh, Matthew, what have been some of the theatrical challenges in bringing this online? <laughs> well, um, yeah, actually, it was it was extremely easy when it was just uh, a performance over Zoom, which is you know how we built it in the first place. It was just Owen and I zooming with each other all the time, um, and 
and even doing a, a live feed of Zoom to YouTube or something like that was pretty easy. But just trying to step up the quality a little bit to be able to send it to a festival was actually. Oh. And he's gone again. Fun. He's trying to bounce these um, questions and keep uh, this going. Uh, <laughs> yeah, why don't we do that, Ross? Just quickly, what's the what's the plan B for companies then that are trying to perform live rather than recorded? What happens when exactly what's happened a couple of times to Matthew happens? You know, the, the show does it go on? Do, do do the audience sit there waiting for somebody, or do you think is that why pretty much everybody is recording it because they just can't risk it? I well, I I I. I I think that risk exists in a in a live performance in a theatre space, doesn't it? Like the and that's the, power yeah, cut. like a power cut or somebody falls yeah. over or that that is the, the you know you even see that on live television that that is part of the thrill of a live event. So I think those of our companies that are doing live or live online shows, although I get that it's more likely and it is slightly different of it isn't it if, if we if we felt totally safe in, a, in any kind of live performance and it wouldn't have the same sort of excitement um i think the attraction yeah. to pre-recorded and i've done that with some of the things that i've done in the past are uh, in a digital sphere is is of course the yeah. same attraction you might yeah. have if you're editing a film in the sense that you can affect the affect all the elements of the piece and therefore tell the story in, in the way that you properly design that and i think yeah. potentially the technology that yeah. we have in an online space means that pre-edited can make that a really effective experience whereas live it is in a zoom call there is a screen and and i think it might be more that as yeah. the challenge yeah matthew will you stop storming <laughs> off please you know we're trying to talk to you. Um, you were just telling us that you know initially you were working on zoom yeah. and then what was the next step then uh well, it sounded like actually I heard the end of Ross's comment right there. Um, it's he he did a pretty good job actually of summing up kind of what what I was describing as I guess the pros and cons of the whole format. Um, it really does feel like we we have a lot of control, or we had a lot of control when we were when we were on Zoom. But most of the issues that we've run into um, are have just been sort of enhancing the quality of it for the festival space to try to. To try to deliver a more you know high definition better audio version of the play because it was our play was really designed as just to, uh, as an actor performing to a laptop and and so now we but we would like it to be you know visually superior uh, obviously now that we are, are uh, having like reaching out to a global audience so would you Matthew, that what you're doing would you define what you're doing as theater oh absolutely yeah okay. i have a so i was having this conversation with a... that sounded like an accusation <laughs> no, no no i i was sorry um i didn't mean that at all i was just having a, a conversation with someone because we you know we've pitched this as a digital arts festival so that right. decision you talked about you touched on it briefly earlier about um there being you being really hesitant about going online and there being loads of stuff online and, and the sort of quality of that was a bit mad. And I, I remember that time there was a, I think a, an urgency to continue telling stories. So that that's kind of what happened over Facebook and things. So it was, this is based on conversation I had with Paul um, in Brighton and, uh, and he used the term digital art and the kind of, 
This was back in the yeah, 70s, this was wasn't back it? in the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and it was like there is a specific genre, like there's a thing here of a specific type of artwork. And right. I think it is like it is theatrical, it is theatre. But if you were to be like really kind of technical about the genre wording of it all, I think it's actually yeah. there's an argument to separate the distinction between theatre and digital art and theatre being part of the live space in the black box studio that the the industry that we once had um and digital art actually just you know although it's using elements of theatre and we are adapting our skills as theatre storytellers that what we're doing here is is creating a yeah. new movement yeah i yeah i don't know i'm i'm well wow. uh, i'm interested in in that argument but i also yeah, I, I mean, I, and I would definitely have made the argument uh, a few months ago that they were that it wasn't quite theater. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I, I guess it, in in our production and in in productions that I am thinking or you know that we're starting to work on for the future, um, there are definitely some theatrical elements that I feel like are really significant that I want to try to hold on to as much as possible uh this show is done in a single take so it has even though we are now doing a pre-recorded version of it to send to living record um the the idea that like uh, like a theater show once the once the thing gets into motion uh there's there's no stopping it it just go it just flies through to the end and whatever happens happens um Is something that I, I really really enjoy about theater, uh, and I also really like. Um, I like that theater is is of a moment and that it doesn't last forever. And I have no intention. I, I mean, I I might eat these words at some point, but I have no intention of making of t- of taking a recording from now and making it. Uh, and like uh, submitting it to a digital festival in four years. Uh, yeah, yeah. If if in four years we want to submit this show to another festival, I would do a fresh recording. I think because yeah. we're not trying to create uh, the perfect final movie that is a time capsule. It it still we still want it to feel real and present and now. Kind of like a living record. I'm going to. I'm, yeah, and I'm going to draw this to a close just because we're running at two hours and I've been up all night watching a piece of dramatic theatre called The Attack on Capitol <laughs> oh, Hill geez. that was on the <laughs> Final couple of questions quickly. Ross, just in a few words. So to get the, the perspective of being in your shoes, how are you feeling right now about Living Records starting in a week or so? Curious, uh, excited. You know, I've said from the beginning and I said it on my podcast earlier, like, I was ready for this to be as big or as small as it needed to be and um, have just followed my nose with it. Um, so I'm just, I'm, I've set this thing up. Uh, and we're going <laughs> to yeah. see what it does. And I'm, and I'm up for that. That, that is where my head's with no. it. Like it, it, uh, it has been a real dance uh, from the beginning with all the conditions that we had, but I'm just really interested, just really excited to see, how this platform might capture um, the audience. And and I think what's going to be really interesting is that audience behavior, we're in uncharted territory here for me, for in audience behavior. 
we know when we're going into a show, it's it might be controlled slightly by the type of venue that you have, the show that you have, the genre. There is it's steeped in history because theatre has history. This yes, digital art's been going on for a while, but at this sort of scale and the way that it's happening, what is audience behaviour? How do we actually affect them? Like, what is this movement going to be? It would be, I think, untrue for me to say that I know what that is. This festival, I hope, will will go some way to upskilling me and actually what that is and uh, and what we can do more as a festival as we move forward. Yeah, and I guess like Donald Trump, at least for the next few days, the audience have a red button <laughs> that they can press <laughs> at any moment. Um, but but finally, yeah. then Matthew, um, about your show, what what would Shakespeare say? Uh, I, I think Shakespeare would uh, have a great sense of humor about it and and uh, and see some of the characters that he wrote in a slightly new light from from the way that we have restructured the play and given characters lines that didn't originally belong to them and and uh, just sort of messed around with it. But I think Shakespeare was uh, obviously extremely curious and uh, and. Um, and uh, I don't know, a, 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 a person with uh, a, a real humanist. And so I think we've we've tried to um, make it a very human and uh, personal play. And I think Shakespeare would appreciate that. Plus, he lived through a lockdown himself. So he would, yeah. he would understand some of that reference, some of that. Yeah. To be online or not to be online, <laughs> that is the question. And the answer is... Living Record Festival. Thank you, both. Thanks for everything, Rob. A lovely speech as well, Matthew. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. Ella Dorman Gaich is up next, talking about two pieces, A Bloody Shambles and On Record. And this is a really good insight, again, into the writing process and perhaps the rethinking, the reconceptualizing that can take place when you realise your work is going to be on a digital place and seen by a, an audience that are not physically present. But all of our interviewees have got wishes to get back into the real world, if it is any more real, the physical world, I would hope so. But what they've all discovered in their own way is the potential of the digital realm to run in parallel alongside and be integrated with stuff we're doing in the physical world. That's really what Living Record is about too. It's about theatre makers that have always been native to digital art but also now theatre makers, art makers who have I guess been forced, we have been forced to change, to pivot to use that word, to bring our work to audiences we've had to bring it online and that's what's been going on um, and so um, Ella is a writer, a theatre maker and now I guess a film, uh, a digital uh, art maker too so let's hear what she has to say. Hi, Ella dorman Gaich. Tell us, what are you doing in the Living Record Festival? Hi, uh, um, I'm doing two audio dramas. The first one's called A Bloody Shambles, written and performed by me. And uh, the second audio drama is called On Record, which I've co-written um, with Cameron Essam. And um, I've produced with a bunch of other amazing, incredible actors. So, yeah, I've been very busy. I've had my hands full. <laughs> What's the difference, if there is one, between a radio drama and an audio drama? Ah, um, well, I would personally say the difference is that an audio drama is 
just recorded for any to be played anywhere online on anyone's phone on anyone's laptop or anything like that whereas a radio drama is made specific for radio to be aired on radio um so I suppose audio drama is like the umbrella term in my opinion because I would say all radio dramas are audio dramas because they're all audio um if that makes sense (laughs) was this something that you were doing anyway or did covid uh, like it has for so many people sort of force you into this format um good question yes I'd say is the short answer to that um the first piece that's in in the festival a bloody shambles uh was originally a stage monologue it was originally a short monologue for the stage uh but since covid I kind of returned to it because I thought it was something that could really work well as an audio piece so I adapted it for audio um maybe like in the first lockdown um, because I was thinking of producing it or um, doing something with it I wasn't sure what yet Um, and then obviously Living Record came along and I thought it would be perfect Uh, so yeah I suppose I very much have sort of adjusted myself to the times that we're living in and realised that audio drama is really the future at the moment because it's kind of a great alternative to theatre in that it's a it's a cheaper sort of way of making um drama making scripts get on their feet quick um as opposed to film which it takes a lot of production and um a big crew and stuff like that a lot of the time so yes sorry that was a long answer yeah no, i guess what that tells me too because you know radio dramas often have huge amount of production and budgets as well Whereas a lot of the COVID-born stuff has gone for simplicity. And actually, in some cases, they've been forced to go for simplicity. But in other cases, simple works better. Mm. No, that is definitely true. And yeah, there there is a lot of effort that goes into audio drama as well um, because of, you know, you have to have good quality microphones. And oh, my God, I'm just learning like the difficulties of audio um, sound designing a whole piece because I'm sound designing my own one as well. And yeah, a lot of effort does go into it, but it does, it seems a lot more achievable, definitely, than making something like a film, in my head anyway. So for you as the writer, if you sort of compared the script that you would have written for one of these pieces, choose one that was going to go into a theatre, compared to one that's turned into an audio drama, would those scripts, in terms of the text, look any different? Yeah, so the one that I'd written for Staged was just a bloody shambles. Um, The other one actually was written just for audio. So we wrote that just for audio. Um, So a bloody shambles, uh, yes, I would say because it was a monologue originally, it kind of, it did transfer more naturally to audio because it was sort of like the tense I wrote it in was different. So I, I kind of adapted it to being the inner thoughts of somebody in somebody's head rather than her talking to an audience which it would have been as a stage a stage production um and also I had a lot more fun thinking about the sound effects and adding in sound effects because obviously when you're on stage a lot is painted just by the actor and the actor's facial expressions um whereas with sound with audio dramas I, I only had the sound so 
I had a lot more fun to play with what I could, exp- I, a lot more ex- experimentation in terms of the sound, um, especially even when I was writing it, I was thinking that, oh, I could actually put that sound in there, which I wouldn't have thought to do if it had just remained a stage play. So yes, <laughs> it definitely has changed. And did you, did you add more sound effects in as you heard it, you know, um, with you as the listener writer, or did you set them all up? in advance and put them in a script and said I can vision how this is going to sound from the start Hmm. good question I would say about 90% I did put in the script because I put a lot of thought into the writing of it and foreseeing what um, sounds needed to be in there to actually create the story and what things were integral to the plot but I guess since I've sound designed it there are um little bits that I've put in that actually I wouldn't have originally thought of when just writing the script so definitely I've been it's been a lot more of a like layered nuanced experience actually sound designing it because you get a whole picture of what it's all going to be like um, rather than just the skeleton so yeah yes (laughs) is the short answer. (laughs) I think you could have coped with someone else completely doing the sound design? Um, uh, About 10 minutes into doing it I was like god I wish somebody was doing this for me um but now I'm nearing the end um I do I'm really happy I did it because um I think I know what I I knew what I wanted and I have near enough achieved that having said that I would really like to work with a sound designer collaboratively in the future it's just very difficult in this um remote world we're living in now to totally kind of um communicate all my thoughts on it and everything I need I think what I'd really like is to kind of do it with somebody next to me to help me who's got the expertise but I've I've enjoyed doing it because I've learned so much about the technical side of making audio dramas now without any spoilers um so I haven't got insert the word spoiler alert (laughs) tell tell us a little bit about the pieces Okay, so A Bloody Shambles is a piece about a girl called Jess who um, has a turbulent relationship with her mum and she's found herself um, kind of out on her luck um, with not enough money for um, basic period um, sanitary products. Um, So it's a piece delving into period poverty and taboos around period about around periods um and it's very prevalent now i feel because uh uk tampon tax was just abolished only this year but period products do still come at a massive expense um even then so i'm I'm actually i've actually teamed up with a charity called bloody good period and i'm donating 40 percent of all the ticket sales to their charity um so yeah that's what a bloody shambles is about which is the piece i wrote and uh, i perform in um and then on record is very different to that it's a psychological thriller uh, about kind of delving into the inner workings of um this one woman's mind and um it's exploring how she's helping this girl get out of this difficult situation but then everything is kind of turned on its head and not as it seems but I don't want to give any of that away because that would definitely be a spoiler so I'll stop talking there. (laughs) The final question um probably the most difficult question in some ways but when we are in a real theatre in most cases uh, we you know we put the audience somewhere they you know there are seats there's a design to the theatre itself how would you like me to be listening to these? 
Oh, oh, that's a good question. Um, definitely 100% on your headphones, because uh, I know most people do that, but um, I think it would be best if you had any sort of noise cancelling headphones. I know not everybody does. Um, where would can I, can I have some really, really expensive speakers and a soundproof room? Oh, right. Um, you could have that. I personally always feel like it's a um, more intimate experience if you listen on headphones, um, if they're good, really good headphones, like sa um, sound cancelling ones. But I think, yeah, also in a really big room would be great. That would definitely, <laughs> I mean, all of my sound design would be exposed then. Um, uh, but I think in terms of location, maybe listen to Baladi Shambles in bed because a large portion of it is actually located there so that might put you yeah. into the actual headspace of the character um uh, on record wow i don't know maybe when going for a walk would be quite interesting and atmospheric um mm. looking out your window um yeah yeah um i don't know it's that's a very difficult question oh um, yeah these are important aren't they yeah yeah it's, it's so interesting that's what i love about audio drama is that everybody has a different experience listening to mm. it because everyone's in a different location when they're listening to it and they're always doing something else traveling or doing the washing up or something so that's really interesting ella, ella thanks for talking to us and all the best with the living record festival thank you so much thank so we come to the end of another episode um I'm confusing all these episode numbers because we're doing them in quite short space of time. As I've said, there is a lot to cover. There is the Space UK, if you haven't checked it out, that's just begun. Uh, that's online. It's second season. Season two is covering well over 50 shows, if not more, in all the genres. The Space UK is an Edinburgh-based venue for the Edinburgh Fringe, and I think they're hoping some form of the Edinburgh Fringe is going to come back in August. But we may still be vaccinating. It may not be in the form that they would like. But they moved online when the Edinburgh Fringe happened last year, uh, or was cancelled um, well, this year in, in August. And so will it be back? We don't know. But there are festivals appearing now in the digital space. The Space UK is one. And it's been a real pleasure to talk to people from Living Record, uh, which is more native to the digital space anyway, I think, because it has been based around a theatre company that's explored multimedia, different kinds of media before, and will continue to do so. What I'm aware of is that arts makers have been positive during lockdown, but a number of people hold the physical world sacred and want to be back, want to be back, but perhaps are also going forward because they've experimented and learned lessons from the digital space. Some have talked about parallel production, about having a digital version and a physical world version of their work. Others have seen the possibilities of integration, but some have very positively uh, creatively brought their work for continuity into the digital space uh, but are looking forward to sort of leaving it behind and getting back to uh, physical world theatres. That's for you to decide um, and the best way to decide is to attend these festivals, check out Living Record, check out some of the people that we've been interviewing in this show, see what you think of their work. Will it create an itch for you to say I'd love to see that in a physical world theatre or I enjoyed it for what it is and I look forward to seeing further work on a digital platform. Only you the audience can decide. Bye for now.